Hello and welcome to the 150th episode of the Saints Score podcast, which is available on all of your good podcasting platforms. Coming up this episode, of course, we're going to review Southampton's 2-2 comeback draw against Leeds. Finally, we get a point on the table. Well, I say finally, it's only two games into the season. Uh, we're going to talk about the fans forum. It's a bit controversial-ish, so we're going to see what the boys think of that. The transfer news and also the upcoming game against Leicester. Once again, I'm joined by the ever-present Ollie Boast and Michael Maisman. And I'll go for the first one. Ollie, how are you doing? And also, do you have food after last week's story? Uh, I do, yes. Well, I've I moved do. house since... Um, uh, since we last did the podcast so yeah. i've had a lot of food in since but yes i uh i got the card fixed i actually needed to get a new card out i don't know if i told you this but basically the card that i have was a kid's card <laughs> like a oh. a young savers card that i just haven't changed since i've opened my bank when i was like 12 so i had like a paper round when i was like 12 and i got like a you needed a a, a bank card to pay into so we went to the bank and uh, opened me up like a little, yeah, like a junior current account and a savers account. And um, it basically turns out my card got blocked because I spent too much money in that day. So they must have thought I was like a 12-year-old a buying too many sweets in Lidl and it just flat out blocked my card. So I've got an actual adult one through the post now. Um, and that means, yes, I am now able to buy food, which is... A positive. I need that. I need the energy for this podcast. Yeah, for anyone that wasn't here last week, Ollie, Ollie's car just wouldn't work when it was at a shop. And yeah, what did you have for dinner that night? Because, you know, obviously all the shops were closed by the time you probably got able to you know, get cash out. Was it just was a bit of toast or did you treat yourself to I, a meal out? I had, uh, I think I had, oh, I guess I'm really depressing. I think I made a pasta with like butter and um like peas and that was it <laughs> it's really flavorless and nothing in there but i literally had nothing left i just had like pasta and rice so i was like oh, okay i'll do some pasta but i i was trying to i the reason i had no food in is i was trying to because i was moving house i wanted to literally get everything out of the fridge everything out of the cupboard so i was on bare essentials and so the bits that i was getting in i planned every single day this was part of the the pain, the fact that I couldn't buy everything. I had it planned out, and I was like, five days, five meals, it will all be gone, and then I can move house and just buy fresh and get it all, you know, start again kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, when it all just kind of went through the roof. So I ended up, yeah, just having, like, a really boring meal that night, and then I ended up getting fish and chips the next day. <laughs> so I thought I'd treat myself from, uh, you know, getting through that, uh, what would you call it? stressful ordeal we'll go with right from one ever developing story to another mikey how are you doing this week um i'm doing all right i'm I'm a bit tired it was a long weekend it was a lovely weekend but it was also quite a long busy weekend so. what did you do mike um i went up to my uh i went up to my granny's uh with my girlfriend oh, nice. and oh. uh we went we went we went there to go to london on saturday that was the plan and then the realisation of 34, 35 degrees in London where trains will be cancelled at some point and being stuck in London wasn't like something we wanted to do. So we ended up wandering around Bromley, which was quite nice. And then we went to Hever Castle on the Sunday in the heat. 
which was lovely. And then, yeah, big trip back. Staff training Sunday night, time swims. I was exhausted last night, so yeah, I, had, um, <laughs> I, I think getting through that was quite nice. I moved Friday and Saturday, and then we went to Bristol has a balloon festival this weekend, and um, they tether all the balloons up in in the evening, and then um, use like you know they like have these like little lighter ignition things to pump the and heat the hot air. They tether the balloons, but they still put them all up, and then they they kind of do this like light show with the the fire so we ended up watching that saturday after moving all of like friday and saturday um and they release the actual balloons off in the morning but the balloons go at six o'clock in the morning because it was so hot over the weekend they couldn't do it in the day because the air was so humid they'd be heating it for ages do you know what i mean like it wouldn't <laughs> they couldn't heat it up it wouldn't it was too dangerous to to be able to do it so the only time they could actually release the balloons and let them go over Bristol was at six o'clock in the morning on Sunday. So we went from watching like the light show where it obviously had to be dark Saturday night and then left about like 11, 12, no transport. So I had to walk all the way back into town to get a taxi because obviously everyone was trying to get taxis and then ended up getting at five o'clock the, mo- the next morning to go and watch the balloons go off, which was amazing. By the way, I'll send you guys photos. Um, and then I ended up going and play a Sunday league match straight after that as well. So I got back home about one o'clock after the game, had a shower and I was meant to take like a half an hour power nap and I ended up just going out for like three hours. And you know, when you wake up and you feel genuinely awful afterwards, just feel like you've slept for, like you've hibernated for like two days, you're sweaty, it's <laughs> boiling hot, you've got no idea what was going on, you feel dehydrated. Yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a rough one. Was your weekend less stressful, Harry? Me and Mikey pretty <laughs> seem seem pretty knackered. Uh, yeah, it was less stressful. I mean, I, I only had to work Saturday. I had a nice day off on Sunday, just watching the nice. Super Sunday, which it feels like I haven't done in ages. Um, but yeah, now we're here to do the podcast. Yeah. And finally, like I say, Saints get a point on the board. It didn't look so likely when we went 2-0 down, you know, a brace from Rodrigo, but a few subs, a few tactical decisions were made and we got back into the game. And last week I went to Oli, so this week, Mikey, I want your match overview. Just us kick off the pod. Oh, I probably am the wrong one to go to because Saturday I I didn't listen to the game. I didn't watch the game. The best I can do is the highlights. So from what I can tell from the game is that uh, it seemed quite even. It seemed quite even in in chance creation and and stuff like that. The reason why Leeds XG looked so high compared to ours is because Rodrigo's goal on the goal line was ridiculously high i think it had like a 0.8 xg or something like that so an 80 percent chance of scoring from that point um so that's the reason why the xgs look so so large differential between the two but yeah it seemed quite even i think there'll be a lot of calls for four of the back now just because of how much we battered leads in the last 20 minutes or so um which is fine I mean, we can always give it a go. Um, it'll be okay. I'm sure it'll be fine. But no, from the position that we were in to come away with a point is good. The impact that a lot of the players made off the bench were 
quite nice to see. Uh, with like Arebo getting on the score sheet, Mara setting some one up, and Armstrong doing well on the left hand side. Like it, it seemed like it was overall quite a decent, um, a decent display. Um, but no, it, it, it felt like at two 0 it felt like more of the same. Uh, at two two, I was jumping around in a rugby field because uh, it came through that Carl Walker Peters mm-hmm. has scored on my watch. So yeah, it, it was good fun. It was good fun. Normally, I like to go play by play and say, you know, they score first, then we, and you know, go by the you know the action of the game. But the main story, apart from the comeback, well, it's part of the comeback, but was the formation change that you know the five back. You know, we won't. It didn't feel like we were creating that much. Switched to a four, and then everything happens. I've certainly got an opinion on it on Tuesday. My Tuesday talking point is talking about it. Uh, and I'm going to mention it a bit on here as well. I want to go to Ollie first. What do you think? Because how the game changed, was it due to the scoreline? Was it just due to the tactical decisions? Because I don't think it's, it's, it's just as simple as let's just bin off the five back that we've been working on for ages and go back to a four that everyone was cl- complaining about for a large majority of last season. So what are your thoughts? Well, I have to echo Mikey's situation in the fact that I was only able to see the highlights. I wasn't able to watch the full game or listen to the full commentary just because I was um, busy. However, um, I, the one thing that I took was Ralph's uh, comments after the game because obviously the reporter is going to ask about the the change in decision and it's quite uh, it's quite funny to hear. The Leeds fans were like, oh, you know, Ralph's so proactive with his substitutions and they came on and made such a difference. And you're like, well, I can think of about 20 times last season when, uh, uh, you know, Saints fans go and he's not, he doesn't get the subs on early enough and the ones he makes don't make the, don't make the impact and stuff like that. So you have to look at it and be like, is it the new quality that we've got in? Is he, has he finally learned and got, you know, knows to change things early? Um, or are they just happier playing four at the back? He, I don't know the exact quote. If you two can find it, I'd be impressed. But he said something about the DNA, and he said it's in our DNA to play four at the back, and they're comfortable in playing that. And you, it does kind of make you think. Well, do you not want your players to be comfortable and play something that's in their DNA? Like, especially with the a lot of new things coming in if that makes sense to then on top of it put a new formation that might possibly be new to players that have been at the club for a while i yeah i think it is quite sensible just to kind of almost get back to basics that kind of feeling do you you understand what i mean yeah right mikey what are your thoughts and then i'll you know put my two cents in um i think I'll be interested to know what, because uh, like, this is the issue of not watching the full game. If you don't know it in context, what Leeds did, like, because it was on the hour mark that we then bought Arebo on and Adam Armstrong on was on the hour mark when that happened. So by that point, I think in the game, this this is like the most basic statistical thing you could do. At that point in the game, Leeds had had eleven shots. We had had seven. By the time that um, 
by the time that the game ended, like after the 30 minute stint where we went 4-4-2, we had seven shots to lead to two. So that seems like we started dominating. We were all over them and stuff like that. So that, that, that makes sense why. And it forced Leeds into a tactical change in the 84th minute, bringing two players on. Jack Harris and Dan James came off for Klitsch and Sin- Sinistera. So I think they went two up top after that. Again, I'm not too sure. But it sort of shows that, yes, yes, we started dominating the game, but did Leeds go a little bit more defensive? They probably did. They were 2-0 up. They probably didn't bring players forward a lot. So it allowed us to pin them in a little bit better. Um, and really start dominating and creating chances. So I think on Leeds' end, they'd be disappointed with maybe sitting back a little bit and not not being able to break out because they only had one up top. I think they played a 4-2-3-1, didn't they? So they only had the one up top, I'm guessing. Uh, uh, well, Bamford came off, didn't he, at some point too? No, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so that that probably had an added edge to it in the fact that Leeds dropped back a little bit more and probably were defending their box a little bit more um but to be fair and, and you are right Ollie the quote the quote is the players know everything for this shape and it's it is our dna the way we we played in the last 20 minutes was exactly what we wanted with this change we are a different team uh i i'd suggest that maybe pressing for 90 minutes in 33 34 degree heat may have been an issue but then you do have five substitutes and that's something that you can exploit our like our system would be perfect for is rotating players onto the pitch being able to have those five substitutes so that once once a player is done after 60 minutes we can take them off and bring fresh legs on and, and we don't have to restrict ourselves to three subs we can have five now so you could argue that um but no, it definitely we we play our best football when we play four at the back. We play our best football when we're four two two two. It's just about getting the confidence of the players up, and I think it's something that we probably will see ourselves go back to at some point this season. But with the difficult fixtures coming up, I don't know if we'll stick to a five back at this point because we know Hassan was very much game to game type uh, manager. He's not someone who will keep things going. He will switch it if he needs to, and if he feels like tactically we can do better but what i found quite nice is a lot of the time uh over the last couple of seasons you've seen ralph on the touchline alone um whenever there's been a change it, it feels like there hasn't really been a talkative meeting between the coaches it's maybe been a couple of sentences but when there was a drinks break ralph and the coaches literally got together and i was like four of them and a notepad and like talking things through and as much as maybe maybe there is communications and you just don't see it or it's not photographed as well but this was like photographed and you could see the paper and you could see the coaches communicating and taking and like actually tactically talking through the game and that might be just to do with the new coaching staff that have come in but i think that was just quite nice to see that it may be that he's got help now out there and he's not completely alone out there like it felt like sometimes he was um, which I think was just a nice image to come away with. So how soon do you think we could switch it back? Because my only thing is, and I was looking at the game and you sort of highlighted some of the points that, I mentioned, that I'm going to mention tomorrow in the fact that because we're in the ascendancy and they're two goals up, there's no need to have that, you know, bring anyone forward. What's the point in scoring a third if you can keep keep two? They're also quite defensively, I wouldn't say weak. Well, I, I, do you know what? I'm going to say weak because in the last two seasons that they've been in the Premier League it, they've not been great at all defensively you look at the five 
There's no way I'd want Gineppo playing as a back four, so I still feel like we'd have to wait for Parades to get back fit because having even more defensive responsibilities on that side could be worrying. And, you know, the, the five-back, it's a new formation. It's something that, you know, I know it's only a friendly. It had worked a couple of times in pre-season. You know, there's, there's so many things that we're still yet to know. We know what the 4-2-2-2 gives us. We know its deficiencies, and that's why we conceded. 67 and 68 goals in the previous two seasons i'm just a bit worried that if we check we change it back just for 20 minutes where we had all the advantages at least probably had all the disadvantages especially when they didn't have a a present up front presence up front in bamford that they couldn't hold up the ball if they just kicked it long so i'm still i'm still unsure i'm still unsure i, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens against leicester that'll be a a comment that we make later in the podcast, but I do agree with you in the fact that it was good to see the coaching staff actually get involved. Do you think only at the start of the season, they were sort of brief to go, look, please, I need help. Let's just try, try something different because, you know, like Mike said previously, it didn't feel like there was a lot of communication. Ralph cut quite an isolated figure at the edge of his technical area, whereas now it does feel like he's got a bit more help. Well, you mentioned the isolated figure there, and it depends what you want to believe, but there seems to be a, a, a thing that Ralph is a kind of very distant person sometimes, and I think it's good to have a group not only, you know, if you've got just one person, one idea, you can, you can kind of be almost either set in your ways or you can overthink to creating you know some interesting decisions he he's in more of a group now and it means that he can discuss more and i know he came over with was it roll his, his yeah daddy roll man lost him and then kind of got this uh, richard kablitzko i'm going for is yeah. that right yeah something, something like that. um and yeah i rem- do you remember there was a point where roll left and everyone was saying oh this is the reason we're going we're going downhill and I didn't know whether that was reactionary at the time but I think there is definitely a point when you when you work well with someone and you can bounce off ideas off each other or just kind of when you've got that positive work environment it makes things a thousand times easier and if he's got that if he does get on well with the new coaching staff they can all get involved together and like you say maybe just trying to get Ralph of that out of that way of just him doing it all of himself and being the kind of taskmaster and sharing that responsibility a bit more, he might find that it, it relieves some pressure off him because it is kind of, if it is all on him, it's a lot to take when it does fall down. And you can sometimes see that after the game, that if we are after a heavy loss, he puts it on his own back and it's a lot on him, if that makes sense. So um, yeah, not only is it maybe good for the future in the fact that it might help with decisions, but also takes some pressure off of him if there is downfalls in the future as well. Yeah, I mean, on Saturday it works. Like I said, Aribo gets his first goal of the for the club, which I looked at it. I said, how has he got it through Messier's mm-hmm. legs there? It's, it's a cute little finish. And then just quickly before we move on to the maybe not so great parts of the games. Talk me through that Sekumara pass. It doesn't oh. even... It's, Kyle Walker-Peters, from the screen I'm looking at whilst the game was going on, he wasn't even in the picture. He just does this almost no-look pass along the floor. I think it had like an expected XG or something like that or expected assist of like 0.09. 
straight to his foot into the bottom corner. And a lot of those questions that people like myself had, I didn't write him off. I just had questions over him from that 45-minute stint um, in the first preseason game. Now might just go away a bit in the fact that he's already set up a goal. Maybe, you know, could have claimed an assist for the first goal or whatever. It just like sort of came off his foot when um, Armstrong put it into the box and, you know, fell to Arrivo. What do you think of his impact in the game? Because, you know, at the end of the day, that pass has just got us a point and he could have got a goal himself when he when he shot from outside the box and Meslier punched it away. I don't want to. I don't want to be a party poop or anything like that. But again, it's one instance. Like, as much as it'll be great to get excited about this player, he's young. He's he's a new signing. He's done something really, really well. Like, it, it's sort of going from people having a load of questions. Go, oh, this is one of like this is a great player we've signed and all that sort of stuff. It's one instance. He did really well. Fantastic pass. It shows that he's got the ability to be able to do that. But can he do it on a consistent basis? Will he get a run in the team to have a consistent to do it on a consistent basis? Because we probably have to switch to a four-two-two-two if that is the case. Because I think Che Adams will probably be the main starter um, for the majority of this season, unless he does go to Everton. Um, but like, he did really well off the bench. Got his first assist. Really good goal contribution. Had a good impact off the bench. Um, but let's not go over the top. Let's just <laughs> let him let him settle. Let him let him do his thing. Let him, let him uh, keep being who he is because he's only had twenty one minutes in the Premier League. So you know, yay, brilliant, really good instance, really good stuff. But because the next thing is like, if he comes onto the pitch, if he comes off the bench, or if he starts the next game against Leicester and does nothing, people are going to go <laughs> and like and really frustrated and they're going like uh, 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 about him and all that sort of stuff. So. Yeah, good start, but you know, give him time, and he'll, he'll hopefully will keep seeing that regularly this season. Um, because you know, it is it is exciting for him to be able to do that, but we'll we'll see. Well, the the two goals happened after a relatively drab first half, and two Rodrigo goals, one early in the second, and one a bit later on, seemed to bury us and put a lot of questions around Ralph Hasnett. So I think a lot of people at that point thought, no, 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 he can't continue. And then the changes happen, we get back into it. But we're going to look at some of the well, we're going to look at the first leads goal and a player that you highlighted before the podcast, I mean, the last podcast, you said, whatever happens, we've got to look at Jack Harrison because he is the creative hub for their team. And he proved it 30 seconds into the first half. He puts the ball into the box. Maybe Lavia should have put more pressure on the cross. I don't know if I'm being harsh on that. It just seemed like he had a load of time. Rodrigo gets in at the front post. Bazunu's got absolutely no chance whatsoever. Is it frustrating? Well, it's not a question. It's more of a statement for you to just answer on it. But how frustrating is it that you know, we, we go in at half-time, nil-nil, we're okay. And then 30 seconds into the second half leads, you know, so quickly onto us. And that's that could be a problem against Leicester because you've seen it a few times last season. I think against Leeds is one of them where straight after kick-off, bang, goal. You know, against Arsenal, they scored twice just after conceding. Is that a concern, how it seemed like we just sort of lapsed the concentration right at the start? And anything Ralph said at half-time sort of goes out, out the window completely. Yeah, well, it's it's clearly a sign that the opposition have got some <laughs> motivation from their manager, to say the least. But that's the thing. When you're 
when you're starting a game or when it goes into the second half, any any football fan knows that it's going to be that energy is going to be intense for the first five, ten minutes or so. You know, that's where there's players that might not be completely switched on. And, you know, chances come from that. If someone's not, if they're not 100%, and it's hard to be because you're going straight off the mark. If you're if you're not straight off the mark, you'll get punished and there will be, you'll make a mistake and it will get, it's the Premier League, the most competitive league in the world. So you'll get punished by any team if you're not at 100% from the off. And I think it just kind of shows that, um, I think Jesse Marsh is a good motivator. Clearly, he's got his his players understanding what he wants to do, and he got them going straight from the off at the start. And um, yeah, I, I know you mentioned Jack Harrison there, but I also think later on in the game he was good. But you were saying how he was one to look out for. I also think in the he gave away quite a few balls near the end after kind of seventy minutes or so. He did kind of um, drop off and. Um, I think I don't know whether he was actually at fault for the goals, but I know definitely in the build-up he was giving the ball away as well. So there was definitely a, a real change when after that seventy minutes, you know that Leeds play this pressing football, but it changed from then on, and I'm sure we'll get we'll get onto that later. I'll leave that for later. I think the most frustrating thing about it was that again we we hadn't come out for the second half. You look at if you if you pause the for all the highlights, if you pause it just before Jack Harrison puts the ball into the box, there is one Leeds player in the box. We have all three centre halves in a d- decent position. Rodrigo basically ran. Uh, Salisu is marking Rodrigo, and Rodrigo has ran in front of Salisu and in front of Benrek. And Salisu, it looks like without telling Benrek or like not not being communicate communicative as like well not being communicated well that rodrigo is running past him and so what was basically happened salisu's tracked him i don't know two three yards and then just went oh no do you know what benrek can do that and benrek doesn't know that he's coming so rodrigo snuck in at the front post and we've had a center half who's seen the movement seen it all the way and just not either not communicated it or not communicated well or like and he just left him but at that point there is no other Leeds player coming to the box that he would have to deal with like every other player seems to be marked or or like at least at least accounted for by another player so just you you just got to keep following it if you don't if you don't communicate to your other center half that he's coming you've got to follow him and you've got to keep going and you've got to run past your center half because is Rodrigo's basically had a foot free shot on goal from about three yards out. And that's the most annoying thing about the first goal is that it, it seems like it's just another instance where our centre halves haven't communicated or haven't they they've been at fault for it. Because it's easily preventable. I know you talked about Lavia getting out a little bit more and he, he could done could have done because Harrison had at least two, three yards of space to be able to put that ball into a box. And that's what we said before the podcast. I know they don't listen. That's what we said before the podcast is that he's someone who can create. He's someone who can cause problems to you, especially when you give him space. And we gave him space and we gave Rodrigo the running because we didn't track him. So that that was the issue with the first goal is it was another defensive mislap that has allowed Rodrigo to get into the box intelligent piece of movement because you're going from one center half to the other and that's when you you get problems caused um because because it's it's a little bit floaty on who's supposed to pick him up but in my opinion salisu should be tracking him 
and it, it should be dealt with a little bit more because he's he's had a shot on goal from three yards out under no pressure. So we, we have a lot of conversations, you know, earlier in this podcast, three defenders, centre-backs, should it be two centre-backs? Really, is it, you know, about the players, because they are certainly inexperienced, but is it also, is it that personnel thing where if we had, and I don't want to sound like every other Saints fan, but if we had a 29-year-old centre-back, 200 prem appearances under his belt. I know, you know, that might not be affordable, but someone that, you know, can read the game a bit better. It feels like a lot of these situations from, you know, the central areas feel avoidable. It feels like there's a lot, and that's something that Ralph said, that he doesn't like, you know, he's not competent in our one-on-one defending. And maybe that comes down to the inexperience, you know, not always knowing, saying that's Elise who has been here for, what, three years? You know, this is going to be a second full season. I'm not sure, Ollie, what, what what do you think? Is it the personnel thing? Or is it just poor defending, communication, all of that, all in abundance? It's new players playing together, isn't it? I mean, didn't was it... Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the... Not the second goal was the corner, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So the the first one it was between who were the two defenders that got caught up together and they didn't who was it that came over Mike? Sorry, I'm trying to remember the two. Uh it was Salisu and Benarak. Oh Christ, okay, I can't even make that. <laughs> I can't even I can't even say they haven't even played for each other for a while because they have. Salisu <laughs> and Benarak, those two. Um it must be noted, I mean, in the Premier League, they're gonna have video thing that's gonna be played back to them. Surely they must. It's it must be bad habits that they're falling into, that they're they're just expecting someone else to pick up that that man. And how long has Benarak been in the Premier League now? How long has he been making international appearances for now? Everyone's like crying out for some like twenty nine year olds who's been there and done that. But Benarak's got experience underneath his belt, but it just seems that he's not. A leader, and I think that's I think that's what fans are looking for. They want to see a visual leader on that pitch that's that's showing them that someone's got that organisation. You do need that in the defence. You need someone setting them. You know, if it if it's the line or whatever, you need someone saying this is where we are, or whether it's they're going to step up or whatever like that. You just got to make sure someone's constantly, you know, constantly talking. You get those players that are always communicating, always talking to each other, whether it's just they're they're quiet or they're not really um yeah, not really talking to each other or expecting someone else to pick it up. There's two players there. I was gonna say that if it you know if it was two players that haven't played together before, okay, fine. Um you can at least somewhat make that excuse. But if it's people that's been playing with each other for a couple of seasons now they haven't got that excuse. They've been seeing each other every single day. They've been training with each other every single day. You're telling me they're not going to be working in training together to make sure that, you know, they they develop that centre-back partnership. But you have to talk. You have to communicate. You have to keep checking. It's constant. You know, you have to be constantly on the ball. And you can't, you can't lapse in concentration. You can't assume someone else is picking up the player. You have to talk. And I think that's what... That's what people want. They they want someone experienced, or at least someone that's going to come in that is constantly communicating. And that's the I think that's the thing that we don't have. We don't have a communicator in that in that back five or back four, depending on what we play. 
I think the criticism of Ben Rack is harsh in this situation because I think it is Salisu's fault. When you watch it back, it is it does feel like Salisu's fault. And you look at his reaction after the goal's gone in, he looks apologetic. He looks like he knows he made a mistake. Um, because him and Ben Rack are having a conversation about it, and and like it, it looks like that he's gone. Oh, that's like, like he he's shocked that he made that error. But that that's just something that does annoy me about like about the team because like you've got young players. Yes, of course you've got young players. You've got Bazunu who's only played one season in professional football at Portsmouth. You've got players like Belcotchap who you could argue, yeah, he is an experience. But this is a guy that's played sixty six games in the Bundesliga since he was like 18 so uh, and, and he's played at three levels of the german under 21s team like he's played at the 18s 20s and the 21s team so as much as he's, in, he's inexperienced he's played a lot of football at a high level so uh, and it's it's hard because it's not his fault for either of the goals but it's just harsh to to call him out in this but again salisu's nearly hit 50 appearances for us he played 30 games for valadoid when he was over in uh spain so that's nearly a hundred appearances in uh, first team football at that point too, and, and it, it frustrates me because as much as it's yes, like we've got a team that are we've got some players out there who are young, like Kotchap, like Lavia, like Bazunu, but like Walker, Walker Peters is not a young player. He's got over fifty games for us. Stuart Armstrong, he's thirty. He, he's not a young player. Ellie Newsy, not a young player. Will Prowse has got over three hundred appearances for us. Like these are still experienced pros, and it's still mistakes that are happening. So. In our back line, you have a player like Jan Benarek who's got 130 games for us. You've got a player like Salisi who's nearly played 50 games for us. That is experience. So, and like Benarek's played at European Championships and things like that. It is just errors. It is just lapse of concentration. It's the same stuff that we've always seen. And it wouldn't necessarily need a 29, 30, 31 year old to bring in. It is literally just, it's the bad habits that need to be taken out. So maybe it is something like a fresh talent, a fresh player to come in who isn't like, who who, who won't lapse in concentration. So it, it doesn't matter what age they are. It's just, do they have the mentality to stay concentrated and make the right decisions for 90 minutes? It doesn't matter about how much that they've played. It is just about mentality. And I think the reason why Benaret gets taken off uh, when we switch to a fullback is because he's not as good on the ball as Salisu is. And I think most Southampton fans would agree with that. I think that's the reason why Salisu stays on at that point. Um, and Belkotchap stay on is because they're better ball movers than Benarek. And we knew that we'd have to pin them in. We knew that we'd have to do that. So I, I don't think I don't think Benarek had a bad game against um, Leeds. I think he's just become another target player for people to go, oh, he's the most experienced it's his fault or he's the one that we've seen the most it's his fault or something like that so yeah uh, um I, I think another center half does have to be bought in but i don't think it necessarily has to be a johnny evans i don't think it necessarily has to be someone like that to be bought in um like an experienced pro who's played in the premier league and all that sort of stuff i don't think it needs to be someone like that but i also think that it needs a little bit more time. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens at the end of the window. There's been talks of Jack Stevens leaving uh, today, at least. There's been a lot of talk of it, but not 
I haven't seen anywhere that it's been massively confirmed that he's going to Watford. By the time that this comes out, he probably has gone to Watford. But yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I think if he goes and another one goes, because that's the likelihood, then maybe we'll see another centre-half be bought in. Yeah, and I, I sort of feel like I'm repeating myself for the for the second goal. But this is really just a question for you, Mikey. You know, you're an analyst. And something that I found quite interesting when watching the highlights for what I believe was the third time, uh, just, you know, to get a bit of an understanding of the game, I did pick up. And it's not, it's not a hard thing to pick up. I'm not, you know, a mystic, unbelievable brain of football. It's, just, it's quite obvious, but just for some reason, it took me to the third time to realise. When that corner comes in, in the first half, the flick on at the back post when it's James and Christensen, both unmarked. From your point of view, because you're someone that, you know, sometimes gets to talk to players at half time or talk to the manager, talk to whoever. Are you surprised that hasn't got picked up where the flick on has left two people unmarked at the back post? That's not something they, they've necessarily highlighted as a, as a big problem because Leeds will get more corners as it was shown in the second half where the exact same thing happened. And this time, Rodrigo, you know, found that finish quite simple, just as Christensen or James should have done in the first half. Are you a bit surprised that they didn't go, right, that that needs sorting. Someone just watch the back post. If nothing else, just watch it. I don't know who's going to be there. I don't know who's going to crop up, but someone's going to be there because they pinpointed that before because there's six yards of open space there. Well, we've defended corners like this for a while, haven't we? Where we've had our three centre-halves all on the six-yard box. So all of them have always been there. They've always zoned marked and they're always there to sort of win the first header. So in this situation, you have your most confident, uh, well, the guy that will stick his neck on the line the most at the front. And then you'll have uh, your tallest player in the middle. And then you'll have uh, the third centre-half behind. That's why you've got Benaret, because he's the stupidest one of the centre-halves, not in a bad way, but he's the one that will block stuff and just throw his head in there and not think. Um, not saying the other two won't, but he's the one who does that the most. Um, you know, Belcoch up in the middle because he's the tallest, and then Salisu's at the back post. Uh, so that's how why that's set up like that. My massive question is when you pause it at the flick on. So Che Adams is marking the guy who's won the flick on. Che Adams has jumped higher, but he's missed it, uh, which is your first problem. Uh, your second problem is that Carl Walker Peters has gone over to. Um, over to the corner because Leeds have two men on the corners. They're doing the same thing that City did at the end of last year where they had De Bruyne and Foden over it. They had two players over their corner. So Walker Peters has gone over just in case they decide to play it short. He's there out there already. So he's done the correct thing in that instance. However, the way that we do our corners is that we have no one on the near post or the far post. So the whole idea is that if there is a flick on at the front post, if Chad Adams doesn't win his header, if there is a flick on to the back post, uh, the person who is at the back post will be offside. However, Walker Peters has gone over so far that that hasn't worked because Walker Peters is now playing everyone onside because he's basically on the touchline. Um, so that is where the big issue is. Like the yes, you could say like to Salisu, oh, there's a man behind you, there's someone that's going to be lurking at the back stick. But in Salisu's mind, that's the line that they're playing and he will be offside. So as much as he's not tracking, Rodrigo starts in an offside position. Rodrigo starts behind Salisu, about two yards behind him. So Salisu is just expecting him to be offside. Stuart Armstrong gets pushed, which might have played Rodrigo onside anyway if Walker Peters hadn't been there. Um, 
But I think I think you could determine it down to two factors where we haven't won the first ball, which is the most important thing. We haven't made the first contact to to the ball. Um, and Carl uh, Walker-Peters hasn't actually got up the pitch. Uh, I think those are the two biggest points. So, like, you can leave a man unmarked if he's offside. That's fine because he can't touch the ball. But as soon as Walker-Peters has left, left him onside, people have seen Rodrigo free in the box and gone, oh, yeah, no, that's Salisu. Salisu should be on him or, or Bel Kotchap should be on him because he's, he's there. But in their mindset, they're playing that line. He's offside. So... Yeah, I think that's the reason why they're like when you break the goal down like that, I think it's Carl Walker-Peters not getting up the pitch is the reason why like everyone's been played onside because he's had the chance to. It's not it's not like the ball's coming instantly. Like uh, the least man runs over the ball. So he knows that it won't be short at that point and he's decided Carl Walker-Peters decision making is to stand in front of the corner 10 yards away. So he's going to try and block it be the first man and the ball's going about 5 yards over his head. So there's no point in him being there at that point. He should track the man. He should track the um, the player who has run over the ball. So him being there is completely his fault. Um, so he's played everyone on side. So that's my breakdown of that goal. I don't know if you saw that at all. Um, I, on, I did on the think Kyle Walker Peters should have got on, like played them off sides. But yeah, I'm still with the same thing of not. Yeah, I, I understand the logic. Your logic makes 100% sense. It's just that it's just the frustration of him being free. I know that you know the whole build up should be offside, all of that. But any point where someone's left free is that bad news. Bad news in my head. It's um, it's the uh, it's the element of risk that yeah. I think a lot of a lot of British fans don't like that element of risk. Like if you leave someone free, that means that there's a chance that the ball will fall to them and if, they'll if have the no one around. Made, if the mistake is made in the build up. If they're free, they score. That's it's, yes. like, it's, it's as simple as yeah, that. Like, like exactly. Um, exactly. And we, and we like mistakes, <laughs> so yeah, that's that normally what what can happen, right? Before we, I think, quick, yeah, I think the con, the con the concept works, but I think that's that's where you get issues sometimes. Is if if someone doesn't do their job properly, or if someone plays everyone on side, then all of a sudden you do have a man in five yards of space around him, and no one challenging the ball near him. So, yeah. Right, before we have a quick look at the fans' forum, Ollie, any final thoughts on the game? Or are you happy? Uh, I think, to be fair, everyone's, we've, we've done a very good job, everyone. Pat on the back. I think we covered it well. Um, I can't really think of too much. Yeah, like I said, I'm uh, sorry I couldn't go in any more depth, but I wasn't able to catch it this week uh, with all the moves and things like that, so I wasn't able to see too much. Um, but yeah, uh, I think I, I, on all of my side, I think we covered it. Well, I'll flip it straight back to you then. Fans okay. forum, did you see it? What did you think? Uh, yeah, just basically. I two. saw some of the quotes come out. Mm. What, was, what do you uh... think? Because I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the comments on Martin Simmons were a bit harsh. I know a few things he probably didn't word correctly. You know, the whole thirty-eight game thing missing his, yeah. missing his family. Like the thing about us being one nil down and him accidentally or intentionally, but I, I don't think he's that sort of person. Uh, framing it is it the fans' fault that the the players aren't getting back into it? Yeah, just just your whole your whole overview on that. Yeah, I mean, I think he's trying to understand the fans' discontent and trying to almost kind of relate himself to that and try and use some empathy, kind of to try and get that across the other side and being like, oh, I'm kind of one of one of you. Um, and I I understand that 
kind of what he's saying, but then I also think it's a, a tricky one, like like you said, to try and word it in a way that fans are going to um, respond well to. I mean, let's suppose his... Yeah, I get what he's trying to say. He hasn't said it right, has he? Let's be honest. He's right in the fact that, yeah, when when things aren't going well, if we concede a couple of goals and players are making mistakes because they're under pressure, fans start groaning and booing them off at half-time. Yeah, that's not going to help the players. But also people are frustrated and you're playing in front of 30,000 people. If you make a mistake with the basics or if fans aren't happy with what they're seeing, they're going to vocalise that. And that's a lot of people that are watching you at the same time. That's why you get paid your money. And yeah, I also, I think he was trying to come across in the fact that, oh yeah, I, I go to every game. I'm I'm there. I'm putting the effort in. But then also that doesn't come off so well when you're a like a managing director or a senior member, a high tier of a 300 million pound organization. You're not going to get sympathy off that. I mean, it might help to kind of get a common ground with the fans. Yeah, like I'm there with you as well. But you're not going to get any sympathy or fans for you because at the end of the day, you're on a pretty hefty wage to do your job. And that's your, you know, that's your job to do that. You're not doing it out of, I mean, you can call himself a supporter, but uh, first and foremost, it's his job, isn't it? So I think I understand a couple of things and the points he made, but... Yeah, I just don't think they came across well, and they definitely don't come across well when they're just written out in tweets or in in quotes in headlines. And I think that's the main thing that people will just read that snippet and not actually kind of see the context in in the way it was said, and that can you know rile people up a little bit more. So I get what you're saying. I just don't think it came across right. Mark, did you take anything away from that? I feel like other fans forums in the past, I've. I've come away and thought I've learned a lot from that this time, not so much. So did you feel like you gained anything? Is there anything that, you know, you wish was asked, but they didn't get around to it or no one thought of that you, you sort of wanted an answer to? There, there are a couple of genuinely good questions. Like I really like the one about the, there was the, uh, the hard of sight uh, fan who didn't, who couldn't see games. So when he, when he went to Southampton games, he would listen to Adam Blackmore or, um, or or something like that, so that he could he could be at the game and listen along with the game and have the atmosphere, but also know what was happening. And he wants to go and get down to the uh, women's team, and like they don't have that. We don't have audio commentary for our women's games. So like that was the question asked of like if he wants to go down and watch, he would need audio to be provided. So is that something that can happen? I thought that was really useful and a really good question. There are a couple of. There are a couple of alright ones. The ones that frustrate me are the ones where you can tell that the person who's there hasn't done their research. Like, I know they're not journalists, they're fans, and that, that's something that they have every right to go to the fans forum and ask the question that they want to be asked. But if you ask why Che Adams wasn't on the pitch or why Roman Perode was not um, not starting against Tottenham and all that sort of thing, there are a lot of like very recent questions. They They weren't like... Oh, this has been a constant error. So, like, if you're asking about how he's going to fix our defensive errors, I think that's fair because in the last three seasons we've conceded a ridiculous amount of goals. So, why is that happening and how that's going to be fixed? I think that's a fair question. But if you're asking about like why did X player not start against X team, then I I don't know. I just feel like that's a bit of a waste because, especially from the um, 
you could literally go onto any Southampton Twitter account who does like the live news and like copies across quotes from interviews and things like that. Ralph covered that uh, after the game against Spurs. He covered it. He he, he literally had those two questions asked to him and he said it. And then he was just repeating himself at the fans forum. And I think he said like pretty much the identical thing for both of them. So those feel like a bit of a waste, but uh, overall, I think it's just, it's nice for the fans to have an opportunity to ask the, the higher, higher ups. And I felt a little bit sorry for, um, uh, Marie, uh, who does the women's managers team, Yeah, uh, manages the women's team. That's more English. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, cause she was sort of just there and there weren't many yeah. questions towards her, which was a little bit. I'm saying bad and Blackmore included her quite nicely. I thought he did a good job with that. Um, yeah. And the the thing is with the fans forum as well, that before it started, everyone was like, oh, don't ask the same questions as we get every year. Why is the stadium not getting expanded? Stuff like that. I mean, I even, so when I was on the supporter panel, what was it? Four or five years ago. Um, they constantly are re kind of doing the members on it. But when I was on it, I had certain questions that I thought I was pushing out the box and stuff like that and the way that if you're looking at it as a fan you may think that oh i'll ask that because why hasn't that been thought of before and there's a there's a kind of um what would you call it like personally you always think like you've got the thing to ask if that makes sense and you think like oh yeah no one's thought of that before but unfortunately if you thought about it someone who's it's their job and they spend 40 hours a week you know thinking about unfortunately they've probably thought about it before so um yeah on the fans forum about five years ago we were asking questions like can you move the away fans and stuff like that and they basically just had a bullet pointed list kind of ready like yeah this is the reasons why we can't do it um so we ended up making like minutes of questions and then filtering out the questions that could have just been responded on an email straight away so yeah things like moving the fans updating the food making the queues shorter you know getting the away fans out the stands and stuff like that we literally, when we went out to meetings and I, I met like the Toby Steele and other managing directors and things like that, lovely, lovely people, but we had to filter out the actual questions that we were going to ask because we had an allotted time with these people and some of the questions are dead ends, unfortunately. We can't, we can't, uh, some things you, 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 there are things in place that you just can't change. It's out of the club's control. So, um, yeah, it's really about finding something that you can openly discuss. And like the, the question that you asked, Mikey, there, that's a question that is genuinely up for discussion because it's from a different point of view that someone wouldn't have thought about. Someone wouldn't have thought about the fan that needs that, you know, extra help. So that's where the fans form really comes into its own because it allows people to get that, you know, representation that you wouldn't have previously had. So that's where the fans forum is successful. But the the main questions that fans want to know and, and don't really understand why it's not done that way. The majority of the time there is a reason there and it's just it's just getting that answer back to them really. Right, now Leicester City, we're going to quickly preview that game and do our predictions and see if I can get it right again, because I predicted 2-2 and I was very, very happy uh, when I got it right. We've got Leicester City, like I said, they started the season relatively poorly, draw of Brentford after being 2-0 up and then 
4-2 against Arsenal, where they really could have lost by more. They've not really done anything in the transfer window. I think they've got Alex Smithies through the door as a third-choice goalkeeper. Madison's been rumoured away for fun, has certainly been rumoured away as well as one other player that isn't in my head. And also Vardy as well. He's had a couple of rumours and, you know, Kasper Schmeichel's already gone. Yuri Tielemans. Yuri Tielemans. That's 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 the the one one. you forgot. Thank you you very much. It's a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Is it a good time to play them? You know, they seem weaker than they did last season. They don't know who's staying, who's going, who's coming in. Their form hasn't been so good. They did beat us 4-1 last season. You know, give me a quick overview of, of Leicester City and your expectation of them, Mikey. Um, well, I don't know. I, they, <laughs> they, seem, they seem to be a bit like us from four or five years ago where players are coming, players are going, but they've actually started the season with three or four players that don't actually know if they're going to be there at the end of the transfer window. So they're probably waiting to see what will happen before they spend their money. Of course, they've lost a big uh, part of the dressing room, big part of what Leicester was with Kasparish Michael. I think it now leaves only one player who was there for the title winning season. Two. Maybe. Maybe Two. Sure. I mean, you've got Albrighton and Vardy. And I think yeah. that's it. Yeah. Um, but no, they seem to be a team that's a little bit lost in who they are. I, I think that's the issue. They've had two years where they've gone really, really close to getting Champions League football and failed. Uh, they then had last year where they had a really poor stint in the league. Somehow they finished ninth, uh, but they had a really poor stint in the league. They weren't very good. They they had their set-piece issues that they didn't have before and has continued into this season as well. Um, and then you've then also got the issues as well with, uh, I don't know, Madison always injured. Vardy's losing his firepower. You know they've lost their first choice goalkeeper. Fafana's probably on his way out. They feel a little bit lost. So I would argue, yeah, probably it might be a decent time to uh, to play them. But I don't know. They've played the same lineup the last two games. They haven't. That, Brendan Rodgers said that they were tired by the end of the Arsenal game at the end of the Brentford game but they only made one sub out of the five that they had available so I don't know if he's got a problem with depth uh, they don't really have a lot of players like they've got Dako, they got Ihinacho that can make an impact off the bench but apart from that Perez hasn't made an appearance this year so far Neither is Luke Thomas or Suinchu. They always seem to struggle with injuries. I don't know. They just seem to be a team that were on the up and now they're slightly on the way down and their players want to move on and they might be into a couple of rebuilding years. That might be what um, Leicester will need because a couple of their key players are either ageing, like Vardy's 35 now. Um, so Johnny Evans is 34. So a couple of their key players are ageing and a couple of their key players are getting towards their peak and they don't really want to be playing for Leicester anymore. So that that's their issue at this point. Ollie, what do you expect? And is this our best chance this month to get three points on the table because obviously we've played Leeds now upcoming against Leicester then we've got Manchester United and Chelsea two big names one of them you know haven't had the greatest starts of the season but yeah what do you expect and how big is this of a game really um well I'd say Leeds at home was a slightly better opportunity when I saw it in the fixture list so I wouldn't I wouldn't quite say that but it's a very fortunate time to play uh Leicester at the moment so I'm I'm hopeful in that regard. The one thing I'm hoping is that 
the players aren't playing for their move, if that makes sense. Like you said, there's quite a few there that have um, have uh, been linked away. And when you're linked away as a player, you're going to either take that two ways. You're going to try and play so that you can't be ignored and, you know, the the team that want you up their money or whatever, you know, really go out and get you because they see how well you're playing. Or you go the other way in the fact that you're you're distracted and you're not working for the team because you're you don't really care for that team you've almost kind of disconnected in your head kind of way so if you have if you've got three or four of those players who are already thinking about oh should i go and buy a house in london or whatever and then they're not really ready to give it all for the team then uh, in that regard then their heads can be distracted and that's where hopefully we could try and get a result so um it really depends how they come out of the blocks but I'm I'm hoping there's an opportunity for us there to at least get something out of the game because they're not in great form, like you've said. And um, yeah, I really hope that we can we can give them a go. But of course, they're like they're quality players, so if they do get it together, oh, yeah. we could get wrapped away like we did at the end <laughs> of last season. Like, mm. like that that could happen. But you're just hoping that there is a little bit of discontent there. Brendan Rodgers doesn't really know what to do, so you're hoping that at the end of the day, they're not they're not going to have that sort of ability to cause us problems and hopefully we'll be the one that causes problems right i'm gonna go for a 2-1 victory hopefully i get it right once again ollie what's your score prediction for this saturday's game uh i think oh, we get we're not gonna get a clean sheet are we let's be honest no, i was thinking let's, one nil that's why i changed it yeah <laughs> that's why i was thinking i can think that there is gonna be a goal in it um yeah, let's go 2-1. Let's go 2-1. There's 2-2-1s. Will there be 3 two ones? I'm going to back us for a clean sheet. I'm going to go 1-0. Oh. I'm going to hope. I'm going to go fingers crossed and we're going to get a clean sheet. Hopefully, maybe. Who knows? Very nice. Very nice. Right. That is now the end of the podcast. We've talked about Leeds. We've talked about Leicester. And something that I'm going to do at the end of each podcast is go to a country that has listened to our podcast and Peru apparently apparently someone listens or someone has listened from Peru from oh, La nice. Libertad. Uh, that's according to our anchor statistics. So you know we're worldwide. Next week I choose someone <laughs> else. <laughs> I like that, Harry. That's cool. Thank you. Thank you. I try next time I'll try and get more like facts about the place. I couldn't find anything about them. Uh, get, get like yeah, some answer for like maybe players that have played or like someone that's got a link or something like that. You know that that might be a bit of fun. Right, so that that's a little interesting fact. Hopefully next week we'll talk about a win over Leicester and also the upcoming games against Cambridge and Manchester United. Hopefully we progress in the cup, but we'll talk about that next week. Right, thank you very much, Ollie, for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, Mikey, for joining me. I don't like this bit of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I keep doing it. It's absolutely lovely. <laughs> right. Thank you, everyone, for listening once again. And we'll see you next week for the 151th episode.